0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at Wisconsincheese.com.
2: You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Akuaku. Every week, we'll delve into the delicious world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. Excited to have Abna Ofejima on the show today. We're going to be talking ancestral foods, which is an interesting term for me when I came across it, which is why I reached out to Abna. I've been following your work for for a while now and I've always wanted to have you on the show um I I always say that it's it's interesting I don't know if it's by design but I tend to follow a lot of Ghanaian people just because I'm from Ghana and so I try to temper <laughs> my excitement for people in Ghana to make sure that I represent other people from the rest of the continent so um but I'm always excited to have Ghanaians on um so welcome to the show
3: can you hear me? Thank you for having me. Great. Yes, I can hear you. Thank you for
2: having me. Great. Okay. So we're going to start the way we do with everyone in terms of you introducing yourself. So tell us a little bit about you, where you grew up, um, maybe your educational background and, and your connections to food.
3: Yeah, thank you. Um I was born in Ghana so I was actually born in Bolgatanga um mm-hmm. in the upper east region of Ghana um and then I left to Toronto when I was young so about 11 years old was when my parents decided to move to Toronto so um just like most Ghanaian parents right uh, I think for a lot of us um uh, our parents Um, We're looking for, quotations, better education, (laughs) um, greener pastures. And I think for some parents that left Ghana, some of our parents that left around that period, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, for many of them, Ghana was not really livable, right? Ghana was not the space that they could potentially see their children doing great, great things. Right. Not to say great things are not happening here, just like economic, social, political context. Um, So I grew up in Toronto. I grew up in the Jane and Finch community. Um, I went to middle school, high school, university it was all like five minute walk away <laughs> from where I live. <laughs> it's
2: so funny when you <laughs> said Jane and Finch. It took me a second because I lived in Toronto for a year, and um, Jane and Finch is where I would go get my African food fix. So, um, yes, yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> Jane and Wilson, yes. yeah. So, and initially, my interest was to be a lawyer. I was very talkative and I loved reading. And I was like, OK, I'm going to law school. Um, but then I did a weekend like the um, LSAT course. And I was like, oh, no, this is ridiculous. <laughs> There's no way I'm doing this and paying this much money for law school. But I loved writing. So I thought I would do graduate school. So I pursued a master's in women and gender studies. And I loved it. Loved. Well, I loved my master's. Um, and then eventually I pursued um, um, a PhD um, in social school doing research around Black farming settlements and histories in Toronto. Um, sorry, in Canada. So black farming settlements in Canada. But eventually I left that. So that's a different story. But mm-hmm. how I got into food was um, I've always struggled with allergies as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't be in conditions that are too hot. Every single pore in my face in flames. Mm-hmm. Like eggs have always made me nauseous as a child. Like if you're frying eggs, I can't be with anyone frying eggs. I just, I cannot oh, be in the wow. same room. Uh, yeah, I just, anything that thing to do with eggs just makes me nauseous. So if we're close friends, you you, you (laughs) might, right. (laughs) You might have to give up eggs (laughs) at some point. So, um, I was like that I was very particular with food. So I eventually started cutting a lot of food out. Then I went to visit my uncle, um, in Japan and I consumed a lot of raw foods, right? Like I ate a lot of raw, like sushi and, Mm -hmm. and right. Like all these other things Mm -hmm. and it disagreed with my stomach. So when I was coming back, I had a ton of allergies. This is like my like 2021 bad allergies. Um, since then, I have not literally been the same. But I, there were so many foods I could not consume. So I stopped drinking milk. I stopped eating cinnamon, baked goods. Um Ooh, wow! Every, like every time I yeah yeah every time I ate something, every single pore in my face would inflame. Um so at one point I remember my allergies were so bad that the only thing I was consuming was raw sweet potatoes and um red clover leaves boiled because no I, just, I just I just had to cleanse so it was bad it was bad I cannot and then eventually even cleared <laughs> Yeah, it was horrible. It was just, it was, it was hard. I've been to the dermatologist, allergist. They've put all those testing on my hands. I've done the patch on my back. Don't shower for three days. Just eat. We want to know what's wrong. So anyways, I became a vegan, Mm plant-based, but it was around my time that I saw an ad For They were looking for youth farmers for the Black Creek Community Farm at Jane and Steeles. And for me, I thought that was like 2014, 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. And it was perfect because I was struggling with food. Like I'm not, um, food is not, it's a big deal for me, but it's not a big deal. So, but I'll get there <laughs> because I struggled, right? Everything, everything I ate, I reacted to, um, every single pore in my face would inflame. I literally looked scary, you know? So I wanted to learn how to grow my own food because I was like, there has to be something in the food that's causing this. Mm. Um, so I started working at Black Creek Farm. I became really plant-based. I was doing well. My skin was great. Um, of course, occasionally I would eat fries and it would flare up, you- you know, I would eat like cinnamon bun and it would flare up. Uh, but there were a lot of things that I cut out and I realized that eating plant-based was great for me. Mm-hmm. But when I started farming, you know, to be able just to hold the seed and put the seed in the soil, and see food come out of that in three months blew me away. Because when you live in the city, you're so disconnected, right? Mm -hmm. From where food comes from. Um, I used to be a coordinator for a school garden um, in the community and I would ask children, like where do we we grew potatoes. And I would ask them, you know, where do fries come from? And children would say McDonald's, right? So (laughs) there's a huge disconnect. Huge disconnect, right? And I don't blame them actually, because most fries is actually corn, corn flats, not potatoes.
0: <laughs> so for me, funny.
3: that moment, right? It's like McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Um, but that moment was like my aha moment, 2014, where I was like, I want to farm. I want to grow food. Um, I want to uh, I want to be able to know where my food comes from. And that that year I learned a lot about food justice and food security, uh, food systems and the history, Mm -hmm. just learning about black farming settlements and and food and, you know, racism and food and discrimination and like the land. Right. And um, indigenous people and land and attentions in Canada and the history and that that completely shifted that that shifted my my perspective and I was like this is what I want to do so i, I had, then i started a phd but then i realized that the, the graduate journey at that particular time wasn't for me mm-hmm. so i left Um, And then I came to Ghana in 2017 and I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn what is happening around food and agriculture in this context, because around that period, like in the 2013, 14, 15, a lot of farms in Ontario... And in British Columbia, we're becoming organic, right? Like organic mm. was becoming the hot, the be- the hot label. Like, oh, is this <laughs> organic? Is this local? You know, like I yeah. know the farmer, the farmer's market, right. like all these like <laughs> you know fancy language. And um, so, and a lot of us, when folks come back home to the continent, um, uh, people assume that a lot of the foods you're consuming on the continent, depending on where you are. Are locally grown, you know. Um, but in fact, that's not the case now, you know, a lot of foods are actually imported. Yeah. Uh even chicken, right,
2: is is, yeah, is it's, like imported. Tom- so, tomatoes tomatoes <laughs> and even plantains. Imported. So. Yeah. I read so. some time ago. It's just like like what? <laughs> yes.
3: It's it's actually very scary um what's happening and because it's part of a larger um conversation mm-hmm. around um um ownership, right? Like ownership of food systems, but also ownership of our seeds and our indigenous seeds. Um, but yeah, so around that period I became in 2017, I, I came, um, I traveled to the north, I worked with different organizations. I did my own fundraising because I wanted to learn. I'm like, I, I love food and farming and the land and the earth and the soil. Um, but I'm not quite sure what direction I want to take it. But I came and I learned a lot about ancestral food. And I learned how much our indigenous foods were declining you know we're dying off and seeing baobab trees that were dying um mm-hmm. a lot of our local foods being substituted with foreign foreign foods and for yeah. me that was the moment I was like we need to preserve our indigenous food we, we must preserve yeah. our indigenous foods and that's how um Adoblooms was was born
2: great such yeah. a great story like why well, I, I knew <laughs> the none journey. of this, yeah. Which is why, yeah. which is why I'm always it. Like I, like I'm, I'm at a loss for words right now because I'm, and I should, I should be used to this by now because it's, it's always. Like, I, I always look online for people like, oh, I think this person has an interesting story. And then they come on the show and I'm just always, 100% of the time, just blown away by people's personal stories. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> and, and how they get here, right? And it's 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 always so... Mm-hmm so interesting um yes great that that's that's amazing and i i cannot even imagine i i have a special empathy for people (laughs) that have food allergies because i i i cannot even imagine having to choose and pick what what i i can or cannot eat um that's challenging
3: yeah it's, it's a struggle, right? Especially when people are making like food in a larger quantity, right? right. And it's like, well, you don't need, you don't want eggs, you don't need this oil. Like, yeah, like, are you, okay? are, you safe? are you alive?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot. Um, so Ada Blooms was born. Like, tell me about the name. How did you come up with the name?
3: So, in initially, um, what I when I came in twenty seventeen. Um, a lot of our indigenous foods are also located in the northern part of Ghana, right? Like mm-hmm. the millet and the sorghum and the fonio yeah. and all these foods, but it's still um, the part of the country that is most neglected, right? Politically, yeah. economically, in terms of the resources um, that go there. My mom in the north, my mom is from Navrongo. Uh, I was born in Bolgatanga, so the upper East thing. And so my mother's last name is Ada, right so the food i source the baobab yeah it's from where she's from so it's a town after where she's from the women that i work Mm -hmm. with and so ada blooms is really the concept of if you eat food from its place of origin you will bloom because Uh i was sourcing i'm sourcing food from my place of origin um
2: yeah so So i guess that's just that's where the name comes from (laughs) Hard tagging strings. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So cool. um, and then let's talk about this idea of ancestral foods. Like, because that's basically yes. the premise. That's what actually attracted me because I was like, mm, that's different. I haven't heard anyone mm-hmm. talk about our foods in this context. So maybe for the audience, let's define at maybe from your perspective, what what would you how would you describe or define ancestral foods?
3: Yes. I think you know for me a lot of african food is told by other people right the, the 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 narrative of what is african is constructed outside the continent right we look at the we look at africa from a very white lens from a very european lens um, and we'll look at African food from, from that lens in terms of the hierarchy of food. We look at French food as, you know, like romantic and exotic and we look at other foods in that way. But when it comes to African food, it's something that is not branded, right? Um, and if, not that it has to be romantic, but in terms of food that is desired. Yeah. And so a lot of the language that is used around um um, African food, it's, it really has a negative connotation. So for me, and connecting back to blooms, our foods are ancestral foods because it's not just foods that are connected to our DNA. Mm-hmm. They're also foods that are connected to our great-great-grandparents, right? For me, food is not just food. Like, okay, so let me rewind, right? An ancestral, a person's ancestral home is a place of one's extended family, mm-hmm. right? So an- Ancestor is a person's forefather, a foreelder, elder, you know, a, um, someone that came before, right? So any person that you or I, sorry, you or I are, are, de- are descended from. Um, and then an ancestral for me is also originating in a particular place, in a particular context, right? Mm-hmm. Something that is native, something that is indigenous to a particular to a particular place. So ancestral foods is just about the but it's around the culture, the traditions, the storytelling, the festivities that is that is attached to a particular food, right? Um, when we look at uh, millet, for instance, mm-hmm. millet is a part of the story of the people from Upper East, right? The Frafra people is the story of why farmers grow it and why they plant it in June. You know, is the story of why they they have an early millet and a late millet. And they use the late millet for for festivals, right? Um, it's 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 they, that's the first thing they eat for breakfast. Cocoa deal who mm-hmm. um, farmers who have cocoa before going going to the field. So there are stories around food. It's not just a grain that we cook mm-hmm. and we consume and passing. And it's like no, it's a the, there are festivities where right? you're planting festivities, you're yeah. harvest festivities. Um, people have died saving seeds, right? People have lived, and uh, um, elders in the communities are respected for saving millet seeds that have lived for 70, 80 years, right? So the seed is planted, that variety of seed is planted year after year for 70 years. So that's, a, that's like ancestral food. is about DNA, mm. right? It's about culture. It's about tradition. It's about something that is native, something that is indigenous, something that carries my story before I even existed, you know? So I'm wow. connected to that yeah, food from my meaning. mother's side that right, that ate that food. It, it tells me something about what I should be consuming and what can sustain me. Um, yeah, so all those connections that I've made over the, the, the years in terms of wanting to preserve and protect our indigenous food is where, for me, I call it ancestral food because ancestral foods also give us the ownership um of 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 that food particularly in the world where a lot of seeds are being genetically modified right or yeah. particularly in the world where um a lot of our our story and our food as african people have been constructed by by others so yes that's that's how i use ancestral yeah, no, that's
2: <laughs> a great powerful context right um yes. for us to think through you know you're right like and part of why I also got into this space is just that you would think for a continent as big as it is and for its contribution to like global food chains, that there would be more interest, more investment, um, more everything really. Um, and like you said, it's a complex, complicated web of different things and we'll talk about that in a little bit of why that why that is why it's why it doesn't have the place in, in the global food chain that it should um so you started to talk about millet so I wanted us to do a little bit of that before we go into the break so just from your perspective or at least what you've highlighted on the Adaboom's site in terms of what you produce and sell I wanted you to maybe give everybody like a description so we started with millet so maybe let's describe like what it looks like what it tastes like what it's used for in terms of food preparation and then we can go down the list of the other three um superfoods greens whole foods whatever you want to call them <laughs>
3: Sure, 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 sure. So the African continent actually has one of the largest diversity of cereals and grains. So we have three varieties of millet. We have the pearl millet, we have guinea millet, and we have finger millet. So in West Africa, pearl millet is the one that is the the bigger kind. Um, It's almost um, grayish. It's like grayish in nature. Um, So we grow pearl millet here, and then they grow finger millet in in East Africa, mm. um, pearl millet. Um, it's, it's used, um, you can just cook it and, and eat it as if you'd cook it, eat rice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also milled. Yeah. You can also mill it as a flour and then you can bake bread with it. You can make flatbreads with it, or you can make porridges with it. So the, the famous cocoa, the Hausa cocoa yeah. that we have, it's made from millet, right. And spices, um, the other, um, food is called well, tiozafi, which is also comes from the house of people as well. Mm-hmm. We also cook that right. Diyahu. We also cook that, um, with, with millet, um, as well. So millet is actually gluten-free. A lot of actually all African grains are gluten-free, mm-hmm. um, it's gluten-free. It's nutritious. Um, it's easy. It's, it's, it's easy to, to cook. And a lot of farmers in the Northern part of Ghana love it because it's heavy and it stays in your stomach.
0: Mm. for a
3: long time um after you've consumed it in the morning and it's nutritious it's high in iron it's high in protein phosphorus um and and all the nutrition that that you need and then the next one
2: let's stay on grains and duphonia (laughs) Yes,
3: fonio. Oh man, fonio is my, it's one of my favorite grains. I love fonio for breakfast. Um, So yeah, fonio is also one of the oldest grains. It's been domesticated for about 5,000 years in West Africa. Um, It's really tiny. It's, it's, it's smaller than a sesame seed. I don't like, I'm like, it's one of the smallest grains you ever see. There are two kinds of fonio there's the white fonio and there is the black one um, they both have up to par nutritional value. Uh, fonio is also gluten free as well um it's it's delicious you can make porridges with it I love making porridges with it. Fonio is one of those foods that is incredible because it doubles up like I don't even when you put a quarter cup of fonio to make a porridge and if you keep adding water and stirring it and adding water and stirring it, you could literally end up with a porridge for three people. For some reason, mm-hmm. it, it, it it doubles up. So it's, it's an amazing grain. Um, you can also um, fluff it up and cook it really lightly and have it with um, salads um, and so forth. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, that's, and then there I, is, I just, I discovered just fonia yes. a couple of years ago, which was wild to me that I didn't even know that we had it. Um, and you're right. It, it's, it's so versatile too, right? So it's filling in, it's incredibly versatile.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
2: in it. Yes. And then
3: Baobab, right? Or Baobab. Yes, that's next. Um, yeah, Baobab, that's just, it's honestly, it's, I just, I love it. I love it. I love it because the tree is so grand. I'm like, God must have a story about baobab because if you've ever seen the tree, it just just defies. It's it's a piece of like a previous world (laughs) on earth that we are gifted to see because it is so grand. It is so huge. It is just like, it's, 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 it's grand. Um, so yeah, the, the, the baobab tree has the baobab fruit, which is, um, the fruit that I I sell on on the website Mm -hmm. It's high in vitamin C. So the fruit naturally dries on the tree. Um, women will harvest it, um, break the shell, they'll pound it to separate the baobab seed, the baobab seed from the powder. Um, they use the seed now actually for oil as the baobab wow. oil and then the powder is what i have so it's high in vitamin c you could use the powder for beverages um i used to make cold pressed beverages and i will add baobab to it you could use it for smoothie you could actually make yogurt um as well oh. with the baobab because it's it's yeah it's a prebiotic right and most oh, yogurts I are see. probiotic yeah so prebiotic feeds the good bacteria that exist in your stomach to multiply so you can digest food. Um, yeah, it's also high in vitamin C. So it's really good for skin health. And um, if your gut is healthy, then your mind is also healthy since yeah. there is that gut stomach. Yeah, sorry, gut
2: mind connection. Yeah. Um, yes. And then the last yes. one you have on your side, I available mean, for sale is Tiger Nuts, right?
3: Yes, Tiger Nuts. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, man, Tiger nut. It's, it's not a tiger, and it's not a <laughs> nut. I feel like the name is very, very misleading in, in very ways. It's actually a tuber. So it's more of a tuber. It's a root vegetable, actually. And it grows under the soil's um, surface, so underneath. Um, it looks like a grass. So um, it's, it's, it's great for... Um, so you can eat the nut fresh, sorry. Once it's harvested... Typically the sun dry for about two weeks. Um, You can soak it, you can blend it and you can make a milk from it. So the same way that you would make almond milk or cashew milk, you could also make tiger nut milk. It's delicious, Um, so good. Or you dry it and then you process it into a powder like what I have, the ground tiger nuts. You can actually bake with it. It makes delicious cookies. You can make energy bites with it. Um, Ground tiger nut flour is versatile versatile you could add it to old flour and bake with it it's really good it's a great source of magnesium it's really rich in vitamin e vitamin c um and it's an amazing substitute for those that are lactose intolerant so for so that's typically what i would do what I would use. Yeah, it's
2: so interesting to me that the first time I actually saw, because I'm used to tiger nut in it's nut form. And then also like as a beverage, I've seen like in Ghana as a beverage, but I'd never seen it in a flower form until like, I feel like I saw it in Whole Foods or something. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I'm sure that no, like it's not connected to anybody from the continent (laughs) directly directly anyway. But I saw that and I was like, I was excited to see, it, but I was like, also, hmm, I wonder where, where and how this ended up on this. Yes, right here, you know, um, great. So that's that's really awesome, and all of that is available on your website, uh, which we'll share towards the end of the conversation here. One last question before we take a quick break is: Where do you source um, all of this? So the grains and the the whole foods, let's say. So yes.
3: All my fruits are sourced from Ghana. I mm-hmm. wish I could source it from other farmers. I do have people that see my see the business and they would like me to purchase um, because I'm funding uh, my own business, mm-hmm. so I, I can't buy as much as I would love to. Um, so I source from Ghana. So the mm-hmm. millet I source that from a farmer called Baba Kumase, who is in the Zebile oh. area. Yeah, I just I need to yeah. So I source the knot from a knot farmer here. Um, I saw the baobab um, from Navrungo and then the the fonio farmers are in Tamale. I actually wanted to do an interview, yeah, with them, but they're in Tamale. So, I because I have a lot of food allergies, so food safety and and um, how food the the health around or the hygiene around how food is processed is very important to me personally but also in my work so i don't want anyone to get sick of the food that mm-hmm. they consume yeah um so i i know the people directly to whom i source um the food from
2: cool and then is this available for sale like internationally or um just in ghana where do you
3: so all my foods are actually not sold in ghana sold okay. in ghana they're all sold in in canada and the u.s okay Okay, so that's great to know i, I yes yes canada us online i'm trying to make it available um in ghana it's surprising like you wouldn't go to the market and get fonio <laughs> right and it's like the food comes from here yeah um uh, but you wouldn't easily i mean tiger knots they sell like on the street so that's fine but that you can't find tiger nut powder
2: Yeah, like I said, that to me, like I saw for the first time on shows here in the US, so that was interesting. Okay, so we'll take a quick short break, and then when we come back, I wanted to cover some interesting topics from your blog. (laughs) Um, Sure, just to share the other aspect of what you do. So you have Adablooms, which is you know your product, you know sales site, but then you also do a lot of writing around some of these topics. So I picked a couple of blog um, articles that you wrote and wanted to dive a little bit deeper. And then we can point people to those articles to go read the full story and get the fuller picture, if you will, the the whole story. (laughs) Sure. Thank you. Okay. We'll take a quick break and we will be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese.
2: We're back from the break. And now we're going to delve into a few articles on your blog, which is called Living the Ancestral Way, right? If you like that. Yes.
3: Living yeah, the Ancestral
2: yes. Way. And so I just picked a few that like maybe from the titles, they were interesting to me. Um, and wanted you to maybe expand on those a little bit so that when people go and read them, you know, they have they will now have your context, a little bit more of context from you. Um, So one of the first ones that stood out to me, and stood out to me, one, and I think, one, just by the virtue of the title, but also two, because I, I just had a conversation with someone who also had a frustration around how people define African food or the lens through which to look at African food. And so the the first one I picked is called um not something not fam- something about African food not being famine foods. Uh is that the right? Yes. Yeah, not being famine. Yes, foods. and so this idea that just by virtue of the proportion of people that are undernourished by all the different definitions out Mm -hmm. there. Um, We're just considered a famine drought and uh, resourced um, from a food perspective um, place when the opposite is true. Um, So I wanted to get your take on like why that is, and then two, maybe how do we then shift this perception?
3: Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. This, this topic is so near and dear (laughs) to my heart. I can go on for years, Uh, but I keep it short. Um, You know, the African, our continent has been framed as a striving continent for a very long time. Right. And this is a false narrative, but it's a narrative that allows capitalism to be able to do what it does best. Right. Um, Where a few people own the means of production, um, and to be also to be able to come uh, to make certain key foods as the commodity, right? Um, and, and for people to be able to buy and purchase those foods. So the devalue of African foods happened during colonialism, right? When many native crops were. We're we're branded as crops that could not make it to the new world, um, or we're branded as crops that were not desired, right? Because they were not desired for the European market. Mm -hmm. So I'll give an example, for instance, cocoa is not indigenous to West Africa. Cocoa comes from the Aztec. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it's not, right? But we grow it so well. But chocolate is not a big part of our diet, right? Mm. Um, We export 20%, but chocolate, cocoa has a big value in the world market, right? Cocoa has a big, so chocolate and cocoa has a big value in the world market because of who's buying chocolates or who's eating chocolates during Valentine and Christmas, right? It's clearly not people here. Right. So for me, it's always around who's telling a story and what benefits do they get from telling the story? Because cocoa can't feed families. Right. When we're looking at food security and we're looking at whether grains or fruits or vegetables or leafy greens, cocoa, you can't what well, you can cook and eat cocoa and feed your family. Right. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's always the devaluing of our food happened through colonialism. And so a lot of our indigenous foods were relegated as famine foods and they were relegated as famine foods because they were consumed in rural areas. Mm. Um, and foods like corn, maize and wheat um, um the and these are foods that took precedent, right? Um, kind of became more popular in the world market in the market and it became popular, one because your seeds were genetically modified, because they were cheaper to grow, and because there were bigger stakes for corporations that were promoting it. Right, so maize corn is indigenous to South America. It's 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 dear food, but right now it's been since 1997. It's been modified to the point that we can all eat yellow and white corn, but we're not eating the actual corn. We're eating modified corn. But corn has also now substituted a lot of our indigenous food. So now corn is substituting um, a lot of millet foods here, but even in East Africa. Ugali that they traditionally used to make sorghum. Now all people use is corn, right? Um, so our foods have been constituted as farming foods because it fits a certain kind of dominant food narratives. Every time I hear people say the continent is dying I and mean, no, it's not. There's an ab- If you've ever been from farm to farm, there's an abundant of food. The challenge is that we import so much food that the foods that are grown locally are expensive. So people don't desire it. Right. I'll give you an example. So in within the African continent, we have our own indigenous rice, the Oriza Yeah. Uh, we have been growing our own rice for thousands and thousands of years. However, the Asian one, um, Oriza Sativa, um, over time, because it was genetically modified, it became easier to grow, right? Because once you modify the seed, you make it risk—sorry, um, you make it um, pest resistant, climate resistant, all these other things. Um, yes, the nutrition has been reduced 100%. Now um, it's it's easy for people to grow anywhere in the world. So over time, that particular variety took over and the African indigenous rice um, was relegated, right? Once you also modify, it means it's easier to cook when you put the white rice in the rice cooker. It's done in 10 minutes. The African indigenous rice takes it takes it takes 45 minutes to cook mm. because it's indigenous, it's it's in its natural state. So what happens is that we, we frame foods that don't fit our fast moving society as backward, when in fact it's us, you know, so it's, it's capitalism that has shifted and, and framed and devalued our indigenous foods because it wasn't foods that white people consumed. Right. And now that our foods are becoming foods that white people consume, they're superfoods because, like, oh, my gosh, they're dry resistant. They're great. They're nutritious. But it's like we've been doing this for years. Yeah. I recently saw a documentary called As an Earthen, where people are walking barefoot. And like, oh, my people are walking barefooted in Africa every day. But we call them poor. But rich people do it. Right. So for me, and this is why I started the blog, because I think that it's important for us to tell our stories. like because other people have been telling our stories for a very long time. And so if we don't own and start telling our stories, um, yeah, then our foods will continue to be constituted as as, as farming foods. Recently, I was part of a conversation um, where you know this organization is looking to do sort of a document a documenting of indigenous foods, but they kept referring to our indigenous food as forgotten foods. I'm like you can come to the conversation. Yeah. can you imagine you're, you're doing <laughs> yeah, you know, you're trying to look for your ancestors. you're like, oh, I'm looking for for the castaways. It's just you've already brought there's already a narrative that you're coming to the foods and that is problematic. you can't our foods are not forgotten foods. Because if you go to the rural communities, you're eating it. And they're not eating it because you're poor. They're eating it because that's who they are. And it's a part of their narrative and your story, right? So it's like, who gets to brand people eating their cultural foods as poor? But when people are eating unhealthy foods, It's yeah, it's just it's so bizarre to me. Like I
2: said, I I can go on about this stuff.
3: It's it's, 300 years I know it's it's all interconnected,
2: it's all interconnected, right? So the sort of next blog piece I wanted had wanted to talk about was the one around like our food system, but you've actually touched on a lot of the pieces around that. So so Abna has a very good article on her on her blog site about, you know, our complex food system. And one of the things that really stood out to me, and you mentioned it um, while you were talking about this idea of how we, how our food is defined or named. um, I'm going to read it verbatim so that I don't (laughs) misquote you, but because I, this really stood out to me when I looked at this particular piece um, around the food system. It said there's something fundamentally wrong with a cocoa farmer who has bought their land, purchased their agricultural inputs, weeded, harvested, sun-dried, and sold their cocoa beans, but has never tasted chocolate. I just thought that was so powerful. And and to your point that, you know, it's not chocolate that's going to feed their family, but it's also interesting that they don't see like the full spectrum, you know, of where their work ends up in a lot of of ways. Um, that, that was so wild. Yes. Like, I mean, I, I think I know that, but just seeing it mm-hmm. in, in black and white, I think was like, whoa, <laughs> that's actually true. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and then another interesting piece I thought was one around tracing your food lineage um, Yeah. and then talking about the foods that you grew up eating. So it was Afib, Bambara beans and all of that. I want you to talk a little bit about that. And this idea of one where you say you've never had jollof if it's not made with Dawa Dawa which I was like
0: yeah I
2: honestly did not even know that that was a thing I would like I will I, did not even know that that was a thing until maybe in the last 12 months for a combination mm-hmm. of reasons one um working with a few people to open a restaurant in Accra called Dawa Dawa and two sweet yeah yes. and two um I think I don't know I, I saw somebody some some food blogger person um oh no it was at a Ghana food movement event where um what's her name Ooh, the the food blogger that's she's really good she's everywhere uh, I can't think of her name right now but she made she I'm made a yeah. with, with Dada and I was like oh my gosh <laughs> And then to realize that that's actually not a quote-unquote fusion thing and that it's like, it's actually (laughs) the way that it's been for a while was so wild to me. Um, Yeah, it was really interesting. And then the one question or the one thing that stood out from that tracing your food lineage piece was um your question your question that says if my great grandmother was to look at my plate would she recognize the ing- ingredients that she knew when when growing up right and yes. i think about how powerful that is because i remember growing up and having like millet wheat porridge and millet porridge and um even like rice water which is a porridge which is all of these things i'm mentioning for those who are not familiar is they're all so the sorts of um, porridges that um which is essentially a water-based meal, I guess, with cooked with different with a grain, mostly with a grain, right? Yeah, a grain. So it could be the full grain or it could be the ground version of the grain, um, which is super nutritious and like essentially like we always had some sort of you know porridge even if we had it with bread or something or kosi or whatever on the side, like we always had some porridge growing up. Um, so it, it could be Tom Brown. Well, I, I don't even know when the last time I saw Tom Brown, Tom Brown, like rice, what's you know, right. those, all of that. Um, yes. yeah. So good. So good. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's part of your ethos, right. In terms of pulling this together, putting this together in your work that idea of like would our ancestors when they look at our plate recognize what we're eating
3: yeah I think you know there there are a lot of um health challenges mm-hmm. that so many of us are facing now that yes is connected to stress and yes is connected to you know mental health but a lot of it is also connected to food, right? And yeah. it's connected to the ingredients or the spices that we're using to, to make our food tasteful and delicious, you know. And now um, you know, when a lot of people cook, there's all these other spices that are dancing in. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not single origin spices, it's not like you can say it's okay, that's paprika, that's turmeric, right. it's muggy, right? It's like what's in this muggy thing, right? Like what's in it? How much sodium it's yeah. is in it. So um, a lot of our health challenges. Come from the things that we're adding to spice up our food and so for, for me once again going to the north you're adding one or two ingredients that you're making and dawa dawa is a big part of that right mm-hmm. dawa dawa is a fermented flavoring that's added to stews added to soups um, the health benefits of dawa dawa are it's just, it's incredible. It things it smells yeah. <laughs> on its own, but in food, it's, it's its delicious. And so for me, you know, that article was about, because I believe that food is connected to our DNA, right? Mm. And for a lot of the illness, Ill, illnesses that we face, really, we should trace back and ask what were our great, great grandparents eating?
2: Yeah.
3: Um, because that's the food we should be eating, right? Like our health comes from our gut microbiome, right? So yeah. our, our our well-being, how we feel the energy, all of that comes from the health of our gut. And the health of our gut comes from what our great grandparents are eating. Yeah. And our gut has not, it has not uh, what do I see? It has not evolved as quickly as technology has, right? Your gut health is not like an iPhone. You're not, you're not getting a new version every two, three years. It is just, it hasn't, right? <laughs> and so, and your grandparents were eating seasonal, like right now, it's raining season. So people are consuming a lot of fresh like foods. When it's the dry season, people are consuming a lot of like grains. Mm-hmm right? A lot of foods that preserved. And so when you consume different foods, you allow for different cultures to build in your, in your stomach. Um, yeah. And so for me, tracing your food lineage is really about healing yourself with mm-hmm. ancestral, your own ancestral foods or detoxing yourself with your own ancestral foods. But it was also around the simplification of cooking food and still making it delicious. Right. Yeah. Um, and also because Dawa Dawa is added to everything, you don't need to do super incredible spice gymnastics <laughs> in your Jalofsky to make it great. That's like, the first I've heard of that you know, spice
2: gymnastics.
1: The- <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> people are doing spice gymnastics it's like how many spices are in this stew? Yeah. because I have allergies I'm very per- I'm, oh, I'm particular right. I'm just like yeah yeah. It's, <laughs> I, yeah very it's just use ginger powder garlic powder and we're good do not we're good so um <laughs> yeah I think for me like the the dawa dawa jollof is, it's just a simple ingredient ingredient that has so much health benefits and yet it transforms the flavor of food. Like mm-hmm. you you take a scoop of dawadao and immediately, like your stomach, your tongue, your brain, your like your your palm are all in alignment. It's almost like your grandparents is giving you a high five, right? Like you, yeah. you have the dawada and it's like, yes. Um so for me it's 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 really around how do we keep these foods alive? How do we keep a lot of these these traditions um alive, right? And yeah. eating dawadawa jalaf is also buying the Dawa Dawa probably from a market woman and it's yes. also supporting her and then supporting a woman who probably had to climb the tree you know to unhust the Dawa Dawa mm-hmm. and to process it yeah. because it takes about three four or five days it's it's a long process
2: yeah.
3: um to make Dawa Dawa yeah yes so this
2: is no this has been it's, such it's- such an enlightening conversation for me like I I Again, like I go into these conversations having no idea really with you know, outside of the loose, you know, sort of, I have loose ideas of what I want to touch on, but have no idea where the conversation will go. And so it's always well to me. And I feel privileged to be in this seat where I get to like engage with people like you, sort of take in, soak in all of your knowledge and expertise. And then hopefully as, you know, the audience that's listening, um, also, are educated, enlightened, and are able to think a little bit more about like what goes on their plate, how they make decisions for you know what ends up in their kitchen and on their plate. Yes. So, um, I I appreciate yes, your thank time. Thank you. <laughs> um, what before we we wrap up here, what's um what what is your dream for for Ada Blooms? Like what's next? And then how can people get involved or or help you um, with with everything oh. that you're doing?
3: Man, big big dreams. We all have big dreams. I guess dreams (laughs) keep us going. I I would really love to open a store um Mm -hmm. with a lot of indigenous African food. So it's almost like a museum meets a cafe meets a um, home cooked kitchen meets you know. As I travel, there's so many foods. I recently went to Ivory Coast and I. You know, so, so many different ingredients, so many different foods. I saw this acpe tree and this just a lot of other foods. And I was like, wow. Right. These are foods that are used in their cooking, Mm -hmm. but it's not used in our cooking, you know? And I thought it's, it's crazy how much food we have on the continent, um, and I would love if there was like a home for ancestral yeah. foods. That's kind of what I think of Adabloom's as. To have this store where anybody who's traveled can get anything, whether it's, you know, uh, a grain, a fruit, a vegetable, a a tuber, a seed, um, yeah. just the coming and not not just to see what the food looks like. It would be a store. It's like walking in a farm, really bringing a farm to the store where you could see what the food looks like in its raw state, right? And see what yeah. the food looks like um you know like the, the 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 seeds and and all these other things so it would be great to yeah, I think that be, be cool. able to open a, a store yeah to be able to open a, a store um
2: like that if if yeah, the so cost that, of so that our own kids one day will not say <laughs> when you ask them where you know where does whatever something come from they don't yes. they don't go a restaurant or something you know um yeah. Hopefully we, yes. hopefully we don't get to that point. Um, yeah. Okay. So before we transition to rapid fire, can you let people know, yes. cause we've talked about your blog, talk about, you know, Blooms. can you know where people can find you online? So social media handle the actual website. Yes. Thank
3: you. So, um, Blooms is um, where I, I, I sell the products, um, the food products. Um, so you can find me on Instagram or the website, um, and blooms.com and um, uh, live in the ancestral Way is the blog it's where i can talk about the politics of food and all these other cultural traditional food farming agriculture um, and you could also find me on youtube so it's called live in the ancestral way where i just interview farmers um and also just uh, as a visual way of documenting Mm -hmm. indigenous african foods but also food ways um um, as well so i'm on instagram the website um as well as youtube you can find yes living the ancestral way
2: i will share all the links i'll share the links to youtube the website and then also to um to the blog and then also the specific ones we talked about today so that if people want to dive a little bit into those specific ones they can do that um and so our last piece so this will just take a couple of minutes uh quick rapid fire questions just a little fun for people to get to know you a little (laughs) bit better um so so let's dive in uh first question is what is the one ingredient you can't live without
3: I would say, honestly, what I say, it's between baobab and millet, but I'll say (laughs) baobab. I'm I'm so particular with food Mm -hmm. that if I travel with the baobab powder and all I have is water to mix it and drink it, I will be fine. I got that, I'm good. Yeah. Give me water and be.
2: I'll be good. Ooh, awesome. <laughs> okay, and then yes. Related to that is, if you could live on one dish for the rest of your life, what would that be?
3: Ooh, damn! I wish it was two. I'll say tzatz. Dear Okay. I love tzatz. Yeah. Dear yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, Jala almost made it, but
2: that's his <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> now, now I almost made it. <laughs> um, oh, and then
3: so
2: your favorite season. So I know you lived in Toronto and you're also in Accra. So you can you can mix and match. You, it can be rainy season, dry season. It can be spring, winter, fall, autumn, and summer. <laughs>
3: In Toronto, I to living in there for 20 years. I used to love winter. In middle school, I was like, yeah, the winter. Oh, my no, gosh. Winter, Became Toronto, an
2: adult. Oh, my gosh. I used to. <laughs> well, oh I guess did. as a kid, maybe I became, could see that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And then, like, as an adult, I'm like, I could hear my knees creak during winter. So now i was like, no, 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 no. Um, I actually really love the dry season in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Like, from December, January, February. It's so beautiful, like especially when you go to the northern part, yeah. the land is so bare and the trees look like ghosts, you know, like they just zero. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just, mm. just bare land and you see these tall indigenous trees welcoming you home, but at the same time, scaring you away. Yeah. It's, just, it's really lovely. <laughs> and then
2: my final question. If you could meet one of these, which one would you meet? Your ancestors or your future descendants?
0: Oh
3: future descendants. I already know the, the ones behind me. I know what they look like.
2: I see. <laughs> what, what, what would, why would you want to I'm meet kidding. them? Like what would you like? What's the thought process behind
3: that? I think I would want to know what what they did with the work that we're doing mm-hmm. now. You know? Mm-hmm. You know, because for a lot of us, especially for you building this, when you do this kind of work, it's passion work, it's soul work, it's spirit work. And of course, your children can do their own thing, but are parts and your pieces of work that you do, that you want people to preserve, right, and cherish mm-hmm. and keep alive, even if they're not doing it. Um, so it'd be great. I think for me, it'd be great to see how they wear and carry the continent forward oh, that's so that's a good one it good, a good one. yeah
2: cool awesome well that's yeah. it that that's Bye. it thank you thank you so so much <laughs> for your time um it's been such a pleasure chatting with you and like I said I learned, me. it was lovely I learned so much um just from talking to you and there's a lot for me to think about I always leave these conversations with like I I just yeah have an, such an appreciation for everybody that's doing the work and and like you said do you have to, that's a good point like it will be interesting to see what all of this means you know years from now decades mm. from now um, but yeah good stuff yes. <laughs> well thank you so yes. <laughs> much it was such a pleasure to have you thank you
3: thank you for having me it was lovely it was lovely thank you.
2: Thank you for listening to item 13 an african food podcast if you like the show please subscribe rate and review us on your favorite podcast app to keep up to date follow us on instagram facebook and twitter at item 13 podcast item 13 is powered by simplecast thank you for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization